back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Hello, hello, hello. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time. For keeping it sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 20th day of June. Hope you all have a great day, have a great week. Hope you all had a great weekend, as yours truly did. Uh, again, to celebrate uh, the marriage of two of my uh, favorite people in the world. Uh, congratulations to the great Brian Cooney and uh, Jenna Walsh, now Jenna Cooney, on their <coughs> marriage uh, this weekend. Uh, very thankful, very grateful that uh, yours truly got to be a, a small part of uh, the festivities as, an, as uh, one of their guests uh, this weekend, very enjoyable time, and you know, was one of those things. Of course, like I always say, this is take your mind off things, take your mind off whatever's going on in this crazy thing we call life, and be a great distraction. And you know, the the only ones that could come close to the happiness of Brian and Jenna this weekend, of course, are the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors winning their fourth championship in the last eight years. And now I've been thinking about this a lot as I was planning on coming in, talk about this uh, today, because of course, you know, NBA throughout this postseason has been a central focus of mine. You know, living, breathing it. You know, even with my team being out of the mix very early in the first round, being the only team that got swept in this entire postseason. But the Warriors, after some doubt was cast on them, with the way that they lost games one and three in this series, respectively, showed why they're champions, showed why you can never truly count them out, can never truly pronounce them dead, even when the chips are against them. I mean, you, you look at Curry's performance in game four to snatch back home court advantage. And then after that, you didn't get a vintage Steph Curry in, in game five. And whoever thought we'd see a day where the guy goes 0 for 9 from behind the three-point arc. 
the best player on the court that night wasn't even a star player. wasn't someone that you would have even thought would be the guy that carried the day for the Warriors. But Andrew Wiggins, who's been an emerging player for this team over this postseason, you know, kind of having a, I don't know if you want to call it renaissance because he's still so young, but an emergence here as the, you know, fourth best player on the Warriors, like Harrison Barnes did once upon a time. And Barnes turned that into a big payday. Wiggins doing it at the right time because, A, it helps him win a championship. And, B, he's about to become a free agent at 27, a free agent that is going to be on a lot of people's radars. A, a lot of teams are going to be interested in him now after the way that he performed in these playoffs. Now, comes with a caveat. It is easier to play like that when you have – two, possibly even three future Hall of Famers on this team. And for all the criticism we gave him in the early part of this series, and he definitely did deserve it, Draymond Green showed up as the series went on. It, it, it's fun. But, you know, Draymond, people forget what kind of player he is. People forget that He's not a scorer. He's, he does a lot of the stuff that sometimes does not show up on the stat sheet. And more times than not, he's the one bringing the ball down the court. And that, that keeps the opposition from hounding Steph Curry as he's crossing the half-court half court line. And you now the, the lack of aggressiveness by uh, the Celtics defense was very helpful <laughs> to Steph as this series went on. And <laughs> this time last week, I was talking about how, oh, is Ime Udugo uh, bluffing here? Is he going to switch up his strategy? But he never did. He never switched things up against Curry, never gave him another look that you would have thought with a team that was considered one of the, if not the best defensive units in basketball as this series or this season went on, you would have thought he would have changed things up, not allowed Steph to go one-on-one, -on -one, not play drop coverage against him the entire series. But that's what Steph saw this entire series. And, in the series, he had one bad game, and it did not turn out to burn Golden State. What turned out to burn the Celtics is, A, the way they were playing him defensively. B, the fact that even when he played bad, someone else stepped up and had a big game, as you saw from Wiggins. And you, you were not getting that from the Boston Celtics. You know, Jason Tatum... For a guy that I've lauded, a guy that I've given a lot of praise to and said that he's going to be one of the top 10 players in this sport eventually, he played anything like that in this series. He played more so like a role player in the second half of these games. And 
He'd get off to decent starts, but down the stretch, it was a disappearing act time and time again. And, you know, when they, they always say the, the longest off season for anybody is not those who lose in the first round or even the second round. It's it's the team that loses in the championship because you have to gut and grind through four rounds of playoffs. You come so close to the ultimate prize. And when you lose, now you got to do it all over again just to get back here. I mean, for the Warriors, in the times that they, they lost to Cleveland – and Toronto, you know, the Cleveland one, it stunk because they were, they were up three games to one. And then a combination of LeBron's greatness and stupidity by Draymond getting him suspended for a game, uh, you know, allowed them to make that comeback. And it's it things when you're up three, one, one game away from winning a championship and potentially cementing yourself as one of the greatest teams of all time when they won 73 games that year. But the the one against Toronto, probably you can deal with more because you won three titles in the previous four years and you were so banged up and injured going into uh, that game six that it, it was it was almost somewhat acceptable. But when you're a team like this Celtic team that, they don't have any championship history on this roster. None of these guys, uh, as far as this core group with the Celtics, have played in an NBA Finals. They've come close to it a couple times, but have uh, missed that opportunity. This was their first chance to join the greatness of the rich history of the Boston Celtics. And now, you know, they've got to go through it all over again. And the the guy that's going to be the longest off season four, the guy that is going to bear the brunt of this is Jason Tam because he's looked at as the face of this franchise. He's looked at as the leading star. And if they had won this series, it almost feels like they would have won despite Jason Tatum, not because of him. And you're supposed to. He's supposed to be one of your leading reasons why. And, you know, there's a lot of debate whether that core group, they need to change something. I mean, I think a long time ago they threw out that away that narrative that Tatum and Brown couldn't play together. But can Tatum and Brown play with Marcus Smart? Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, had a great individual year. But at times, did he get in the way of their greatness this postseason with how many shots he was jacking up? Because he was not good in this series at all. I mean, the the one, even a losing effort, the one that you almost say can walk away with his held his head held up high is uh, Jalen Brown because he played well for the most part in this series he had him and al horford had crucial shots in game six that turned it from a blowout to somewhat 
competitive before the Warriors pulled away in the fourth quarter on uh, Thursday night. Um, you know, it it stings if you're a Celtic fan, but if you're a Warrior fan, you're doing cartwheels today. You're saying the dynasty lives on, and this is a dynasty. Now, don't let anyone try to tell you it's not. Four titles in an eight-year span is something unprecedented, something we have not seen in about 25 years when it came to Jordan's Bulls team. Now, this team is not as good as that group, but this team is definitely a dynasty because you look at it, same general manager, same head coach, the same core group of guys together with Curry, Thompson, Green, and even Iguodala, who didn't play much of a role in this one as far as on the court, but his off-the-court expertise as kind of that extra coach on the staff for the worst, almost in the same way that Udonis Haslam has been for the Miami Heat the last several years, definitely paid dividends. You saw him coaching guys up as they were either coming into the game or when they were on the bench, things that he was seeing that definitely played a role, played a factor in this. And, you know, I talked about how Tatum was in this series. It also played a factor, you know, not just the breakout by Wiggins on a scoring end, but Wiggins... His defensive role on Tatum was humongous. And it's the second time this postseason that we can look at Wiggins and say his defense was one of the leading factors in winning that series. And we saw how crucial he was against Luka Dantas in the Western Conference Finals. Well, here in the finals, he seemed to know pretty much every move that Tatum was going to make when he was guarding them. It, I mean, it definitely helps that you guys work out with the same trainer in uh, the off season and uh, have uh, the same uh, go-to uh, go routines uh, to uh, deal with. But, that definitely was a big key, big reason why the Warriors are sitting here today as four-time champions in the uh, last eight years. Mix that with you know, the fact that the Celtics were turning the ball over more so than the Warriors. And the Warriors were capitalizing off of uh, those turnovers. And only one time were the Celtics ever able to truly counter the third quarter runs that the Warriors were going on. And that being in uh, game five, that only the only time this series, I think that they were able to dominate the third quarter in, in the fashion that the, the Warriors have um, done. And you, know, you look at this Warriors team. By no stretch of the imagination can we say that they are done. As I said, the general manager and head coach aren't going anywhere. 
Curry, Green, and Thompson, you expect all three to be back next year, especially Thompson. No, we never saw the full health, full extent of Clay Thompson this year as a fully healthy player. You figure a full offseason, normal offseason for him is going to do wonders. You had the breakouts of both Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, both guys who are going to be impending free agents. And we'll see what happens with Wiggins because Poole, they can match any they can match any offer and just keep him. He's a restricted free agent. Andrew Wiggins is going to have options. Andrew Wiggins could leave if he wanted to do so. You know, that's why I said earlier, this was the perfect time for him to have this kind of, not just postseason, but this kind of NBA Finals run. But even if they lose him, they got young players that are developing before our eyes behind them to be that next cast to surround this score. Uh, Kaminga was an emerging young player, and he's only 19. We didn't see James Wiseman uh, this year, um, and that'll be another big body to p- pair off with uh, Kavon Looney. Wiseman's only 21. Um, Moses Moody had some uh, good good moments for this team. He's 20 years old in his own right. So I'm not guaranteeing anything because – as we know, in this crazy thing called sports, you can never truly say something is a lock. But it would not surprise me if they're in a couple more finals over the next couple of years. And this conference is a tough one. It's a deep one. You still have the Suns there. We'll see what happens with the Lakers. The Clippers are going to be getting Kawhi and Paul George back. And even the Memphis Grizzlies were emerging this year. And you've seen the chippiness back and forth between Draymond Green and John Morant the last couple of days. Maybe that's going to lead to, I don't know, a matchup on Christmas Day between these two sides in San Francisco. Be something interesting to see there. But uh, the Warriors are not going anywhere. They, I mean, we saw what happened when you try to count the Warriors out, when you try to say that, oh, they're done. Steph Curry admitted this week, he's he called himself the the petty king. And he took comments that Brian Windhorst used earlier this week saying that, oh, you don't just got to beat the Warriors on the court. You got to uh, beat their checkbook saying that, this was a checkbook win uh, for uh, the, the uh, Warriors. Well, Curry fired back after winning uh, the championship and said, yeah, it starts with the core group of champions, bona fide winners who believe we can run it back. And now we're here. It, he also took shots. And this shows how petty any competitor can be. The fact that he would remember this, that 10 months ago, the likes of Kendrick Perkins and Dominique Foxworth on ESPN's first take would say that the Warriors are not going to win another championship as presently constituted. And he fired back at them, making their uh, their gesture of zero and said, 
we hear all of that. You carry it all and try to maintain your uh, purpose, not let it distract you, but you carry that weight. And then you get here and it all comes out. So, you know, we think that these athletes don't hear things. They hear a lot. They've, they've got antennas up all the time. They've got rabbit ears. They're hearing stuff and they use it to motivate them. And Steph and the, the crew just ha- so happen to motivate them to winning another championship. And you have to figure it motivated Steph big time that he kept hearing about, oh, Andre Iguodala being the MVP of the first title. Or the fact that, oh, they needed Kevin Durant to win the middle two titles. And that he hadn't won an MVP in the finals yet. And that somehow was taking away from his legacy. To me, you've got to be an outright lunatic if you think that his legacy was any lesser based on that. But there are still some of those out there. Well, what what hasn't he done now? Four-time champion, two-time league MVP, won the, the finals MVP, has been, you know... A scoring leader in uh, this league is the all-time three-point score leader. I he's had a remarkable run here, and while yeah, he's not getting any younger, he's also not going away anytime soon. All right, a lot I want to get to over the next about 40 minutes or so here. Give you some thoughts on the Stanley Cup final. Uh, mix in some football thought because uh, a couple people are pissing me off uh, this week when it comes to that. And some thoughts on the Yankees as we go along here as well. So a lot to get to here. Glad you could join me. So at this time, please sit back, relax, help put your feet up. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. 
all the places that you can find this podcast on social media, the places that you can either watch the live feed if you feel like looking at me for the duration of the podcast, or you just want to find the links to uh, listen to it either through Podbeam or the other uh, podcast apps I have this hooked up to. You can find facebook.com slash keeping it sports with M3. Go there, click the like button, click the share button to friends of yours that may be sports fans and each and every either Monday afternoon or early Tuesday morning, you'll find uh, the uh, link to the podcast version if you only happen to want to listen to me. Uh, you can also find that on Twitter, at m 3 as well as at Keeping It Sports. And on Instagram, you can uh, find me under Keeping underscore It underscore sports underscore with underscore m3 so all the places that you can find both the live feed and the podcast version of this each and every single week now even with the rangers out of the postseason thank you uh, lightning i was going to continue paying attention to the hockey postseason because, hey, we're down to what everyone fights for. We're down to the nitty-gritty here with the Stanley Cup final between the Avalanche and the Lightning. And I had said last week a prediction for this series. I think I predicted Lightning in seven. Well, it's going to take a whole hell of a lot here for that prediction to now come true because we're sitting here <laughs> on this Monday preparing for game three tonight with the Avalanche leading the series two games to nothing because my main concern for the Avalanche was the fact that they had so much time off coming into the series. I viewed it a lot of the same way that I did the Lightning the previous round against the Rangers, where the Lightning had nine days off before the Eastern Conference Final. After sweeping uh, the Panthers in uh, the semis, they, I figured you know, with how rusty the Lightning were, coming in against the Rangers, going up against another great goaltender in uh, Shesterkin. I figured, oh, the Lightning, they're still on a routine. They only have three days off. The Avalanche have been sitting for over a week, waiting after somewhat easily sweeping away the Oilers. Didn't think that it was going to be a easy series for either side, but... I viewed the Lightning as the the team that was more prepared for this series. And boy, have I been so wrong uh, about th- that. I mean, you, you look at this uh, and you, you would think that the Lightning have not played in like a month. 
you would think that the Avalanche have been continuously playing on a regular basis, but while it's it's not a a, uh, a humongous difference in age here, the the Avalanche are a younger team. The Avalanche are a quicker team than this Lightning team, who while they're more experienced, more have that championship mindset, you know, being that they're the two-time defending champions. Uh, they're, they've also been through a lot of wars in these last couple of years. And you look at these series the last couple of years, they haven't been winning them all in you know, four or five games. There have been some deep, deep series going on here, some battles that they've had to go through to get to this point. While, you know, the Avalanche, you can say, oh, you want to keep focus, you want to keep locked in, but with how brutal the NHL playoffs can be at time and the fact that they did have some injuries on their roster, you wanted that rest time was key for this team that definitely has a, a speed advantage, has a youth advantage. Maybe being this young has, and if their first time experiencing what it's like to be in the cup final has them in the mindset of, hey, we don't know any better. And with the fact that they have so much more offensive firepower than do the Lightning, it's allowed them to keep the puck out of their, their zone and not have as many uh, shots on goal, not have the, their goaltender. And th- their goaltender faced, what, about 16 shots on uh, Saturday night. And mind you, I was not able to see Saturday's game because, uh, as I said, I was at a wedding. But it looked like a complete mismatch um and the you know that they came out firing early in in game one you figured that oh wow they're just gonna blow the lightning away but the lightning answered back forced overtime here but uh, you know the the problem for them is the avalanche have such a speed advantage such a youth and physicality advantage that they've been taking the puck away easily uh, from the lightning have been creating these mismatch opportunities uh, for them, especially you look at Saturday night and what was kind of like the, the cherry on top, because I think the game was decided far beyond before the third period, but mockers uh, first goal in the third period was shorthanded and it just showed once again how much you know how much more uh physical and skillful that they've been in uh this series i there was one point i i actually as i'm checking this out on my phone i'm sitting there feeling um bad for vasileski because i'm like how are you letting this guy stay in to give up seven goals First off, no, it's a demoralizing thing to get beat down like that in a hockey game. 
but also this is a guy that's a, a champion for you. This is a guy that you're already having people talk about as being on the Mount Rushmore of hockey goaltenders in this sport, putting up there with the likes of Brodeur and you're not pulling him from this game down five, nothing in going to the third, just as give him a little respite, a little break, try to take his mind off things. But even for as much success as he's had, as great as he's been, you got to figure giving up seven goals is going to play with the guy's head just a little bit. Now, it does help that they're going back home tonight, and we'll see if they're able to turn this series around here. Because, like I said, I have no dog in the fight. You know, what I've wanted to see this postseason has happened so far. Outside of getting a, a team from Canada into the cup final, which would have been nice, I've got the Penguins out. And it was in brutal fashion against the Rangers. Got the Rangers out. And it was in brutal fashion against the Lightning. I'm just an innocent bystander sitting by here as a fan. Rooting for a deep playoff series. But it doesn't feel like we're going to get that. Now, like I said about the Warriors earlier. The Lightning are champions. The Lightning, it's it's too early to truly count them out. I mean, you, you look at... You think about what they've gone through to get here for this attempt at a three-peat. Now, two years ago, they lost game one against both the Bruins and the Stars in those uh, series before coming back and winning four straight against the Brewers and defeating the Stars in six to win their cup. Then last year, they lost game one against uh, the Brewers the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals before coming back and winning that series in seven games and defeating the Canadians in five to win the Cup. And then this year, we've counted them out before. They they lost game one against the Maple Leafs, were down three games to two, and came back and won the series in seven, including winning game seven in Toronto. They lost the first two against the Rangers before winning four straight. So we can't completely count them out of this thing. But this is a different animal. This is a different beast that they are playing. While they, yes, have the goaltend, should have have the clear goaltending advantage in uh, this series, they're also kind of at a mismatch when it comes to fresh legs and young players that, while they haven't been here and experienced this like the the Lightning crew have, like the likes of you know Stamkos and uh, Kucherov have experienced this the last couple of years. Sometimes being young, that young you don't know any better and you don't have to think about it too much of rather the whole, wow, can you believe we're here? Maybe they have a locked in focus that, oh, the lightning had once upon a time. 
when they were in this position as that young, hungry, emerging team. I I hope that this is not a four-game sweep. I hope that this is not something that by Friday I'm preparing the obituary for the Lightning series and that this time next week we're talking about a game six or seven in this series. But it doesn't feel like we're heading that direction right now. It does not feel like we're in for a very long, drawn-out Stanley Cup final. All right, still more to go here. Turn my attention to the NFL coming up next. Please, continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Back to keeping sports with M3. Now, talk about the great week or weekend that it's been for the Golden State Warriors. Well, can't be that bad of a week for young uh, Minka Fitzpatrick for the Pittsburgh Steelers as he becomes the latest member of the Steelers' defense to be locked up and get that big payday. Last year, all the big talk was about when was T.J. Watt going to get his payday, and it carried through right up until about a week before the season. might have even been the week of uh, week one. Well, clearly the Steelers did not want that to happen again, did not want to go down that road with another one of their star players. And remember, this is a guy that they gave up no first round draft pick for. No, as crazy as that sounds, giving up that kind of draft pick compensation for a, a strong safety. And probably been preventative from them truly finding the long-term successor 
for Ben Roethlisberger, but this guy has done nothing but play out and play great for them. Now, and he hasn't, well, he, he did kind of force his way out of Miami. He hasn't been a pain in the ass there about his new contract or demanding a, a new deal, you know, the same way that, oh, say Jamal Adams was with both the Jets and then when he eventually got traded to the Seattle Seahawks. Just gone about his business, acted like a pro about it, and now he's been rewarded with the richest deal that's ever been given to a safety. Four years for $73.6 million with $36 million guaranteed. Somewhere right now Jamal's crying about that, but you have to remember, with the salary cap going up, this is just the case of, oh, one guy sees what the other got paid, so he's the next in line, and he gets the bigger payday. I'm sure if it had been reversed, Jamal Adams might have gotten uh, the more guaranteed um, money here than one Minka Fitzpatrick. But now Minka played this uh, played his hand pretty well here, and it truly got rewarded. Now... Someone who kind of got on my nerves a, a little bit this week has got to be Bart Scott. And trust me, I love you know, most of what Bart Scott did as a New York Jet. Thought he was a, a good, successful Jet. You know, it changed him coming there as one of the locker room leaders kind of changed the culture of the Jets franchise there for a couple of years. that uh, they, they developed a winning mindset under Rex Ryan the first couple of years. And then when it started to fall apart, Bart became a pain in the ass that you didn't want around anymore, especially when he tried to start that locker room mutiny against the media, which I still remember the Jets post game live when when that happened, and the guys on the set, as soon as they went back to the studio, wanted the Jets to immediately cut him. But I digress. Since then, he's gone on to have a rather successful broadcasting career with SMY, part of their pre and post game show with the Jets, uh, has a weekly radio show on ninety eight point seven, and you see him on. A lot of ESPN's uh, television shows throughout the week. Well, I don't. I did not understand the purpose of him coming out last week and starting the Brady versus Manning debate, Brady versus Manning conversation. Because I don't remember the last time we've heard anything important involving. Peyton Manning when it, it comes to football. I and mean, it's not like he's getting reinducted into the Hall of Fame. It's not like, oh, he got the role that Troy Aikman got, the role that ESPN sought after Peyton for for years, and that being the, the lead analyst for a Monday Night Football. I mean, maybe this was just a case of 
them looking for something to talk about. But to me, it, it made no sense why if you're Bart Scott, he, it was end of last week, he comes out and says, quote, I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than go against Peyton Manning. And the second you say something like that, the antennas for everybody go up. The attention of everybody uh, goes up. And it's like, is he really trying to take a, a shot at Tom Brady, a seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, guy who has almost every offensive record for a quarterback that you can ask for? And while I understand part of Bart's point here, he, I mean, first off, to say, You'd never hear someone say, I'm so afraid of Brady, is blasphemy. While no athlete in the back of his mind is going to sit or going to come out and say they're afraid of anyone, you know, in the back of their mind, there's certain quarterbacks where you're like, all right, I'm going to bed at 7, 7.30 to prepare for this guy the, the next day. There's certain quarterbacks that you go to bed at like 10 o'clock, no, no worry of. You know, the two young quarterbacks in this area uh, are on that 10 o'clock list. Guys like Tom Brady, that's 7 o'clock, maybe even 645 if you're being very aggressive because you know it's going to be a long day of work. But in his mind, he, he was saying, you sleep at night like, damn, I don't want to be the tip. I don't want to be the fish. I, you don't want to be the guy that he's like, aha, I see you, Bart. This is a, a fire zone from the left side because Bart is cheating to his blitz. Aha. With Brady, it was more about Belichick, the entire team, the execution, them have a game plan. With Peyton, literally, he's yelling something in the first quarter that – it meant something totally different in the second. Like, damn, Peyton, what happened? You ain't supposed to be doing that. And I could somewhat understand that point because Peyton was the ultimate field general. You even saw at times, especially after Tony Dungy, where it seemed like Peyton was always telling the coaches what he wanted to do rather than it being the other way around. That's why he was always amongst the highest paid quarterbacks in the sport when he played. And Tom was always the one taking the discount. Peyton also, at a time, we referred to him as the greatest offensive quarterback in in, in the, the sport uh, because he had every record known to man. But Brady ha has the longevity. Brady has what Manning didn't have. He He's had the luxury of staying healthy outside of that one year when he tore his ACL. He didn't have uh, the, the the nagging neck problems or, or the dead arm late in his career that Peyton Manning um, sort of came to. He had... He's had pretty much one head coach for his entire, for the majority of his career. Well, Peyton Manning had 
four different coaches. So it, it kind of, to me, more so than this being Manning versus Brady, it more so feels like it's a Manning versus Brady and Belichick kind of thing. And goes back to the whole argument of who was more important, Brady or Belichick. And I've always said that, especially early on, one could not have had the success that they did without the other. Now, remember, Bill Belichick, he had one really successful season in Cleveland, made the playoffs one time in five years. Outside of that, he was kind of like mediocre head coach there. His success came when he went to New England and was graced by the hand of God with this this young, scrawny quarterback from um, Michigan that would later become the greatest quarterback of all time. While Peyton, we knew he was going to be great from the very beginning. It was just a matter of keeping him healthy and then you saw greatness on the field. So I'm not I'm really not sure why Bart Scott felt the need to go here, but but to me this is this is a this creates an argument that I don't know if there's ever really a true winner for because while Brady has had all of the team success, Manning had all of the numbers set all of those records in at a quicker pace than uh than did Tom and it, it goes also goes to what the would you rather have all the championships or would you have rather retired knowing you had all the personal records and one more thing I want to get to before I take a break here because this has bothered me all week long and it's something I worried about here in uh, this off season because there've been a lot of people that have been optimistic or overly optimistic when it comes to what the New York Jets are going to be or could be this coming season. You've seen some crazy predictions out there. Some saying that they could win 10 or 11 games. And me, even as the most optimistic or trying to be optimistic Jet fan out there, I don't see it. But one of my key things for the Jets has been, I've said there were three players it was key on how they were going to be this year in as far as the Jets' success, besides what they've done in the offseason. That was improvement from Zach Wilson, how Carl Lawson bounces back from the torn Achilles that knocked out his first year as a Jet, and then Makai Becton coming back from a knee injury that should not have cost him the entire season, but it did because this guy has a hard time keeping himself in shape. And I've maintained this while I am not one of those people that likes to weight shame people because yours truly, believe it or not, there was a time where I weighed about a hundred pounds more than what you see me as right now. So I understand what it's like to be fat and out of shape. 
But I worried the whole time that were those videos that Makai Becton posting on Instagram just for show. I've even joked, did he did he dunk a t-shirt in a bucket of water and, and then put it on just to have enough to create a 30-second reel on Instagram? Well, last week, it kind of felt like all of that was for show because he comes in for, for his first session with reporters during OTAs with a t-shirt on that says, Big bust in the middle, surrounded by the words fat, lazy, out of shape, injury prone, bum, sucks, overweight. And has the gall to say, I don't, when asked about people writing him off, I don't understand why. It's all good though. I'm going to make them eat their words. Oh, Makai, the reason why people are, are, somewhat writing you off is because you got hurt in the first game of the season last year and then we never saw you again you were supposed to be back in a month or two you were supposed to be back by the second half of the season at the very latest and your weight pro prohibited you from fully getting the real treatment of your rehab that's why it took you till the off season to fully heal from the knee injury that wasn't supposed to knock you out and while Robert Sala is saying all of the right things about him you could you could tell that this jet organization is kind of annoyed with him because you, you saw him gushing gushing about the way Zach Wilson has come into these uh, voluntary and mandatory OTAs looking you've even heard him speaking glowingly about Denzel Mims, not just the shape that he's in, but the way that he's looking in these workouts. And Denzel Mims was a very much a, a guy that was, his place in this franchise was on the rocks last year. You haven't heard him speak glowingly about Makai Beckham. He's said, said nice things uh, about him, saying that, if he takes care of business like we know he can, he can be trans, a transcendent player. But there was a lot of ifs and buts in there uh, when talking uh, about Makai. There was a lot of, you know, if this happens, that happens, this happens. I remember, this was a guy that when he came into the league, when he was drafted, he was drafted, you know, what was it third or fourth amongst uh, the uh, the top tackles in uh, his draft class, and a big concern from people was his motor. Whether he was a guy that was truly motivated to be great, and very fairly, that's coming into question because he was three hundred and sixty three pounds when he was drafted, and. There were several times as a rookie he was fined for his weight getting too high. And there were there were people saying last year that um, he topped around um, 400 pounds at the point when he got injured. I mean, I don't even think as, even though it's not a sport, as, 
as a professional wrestler, it's healthy to be 400 pounds, let alone as a 6'8 offensive lineman. And this is a guy that he's had 33 career games, or at least the opportunity to play in 33 career games. Only eight of them he's completed. And him coming in, whether it's jokingly or he's using it as motivation, him coming in wearing that kind of t-shirt and having this delusional mindset about it, acting like everything's okay. No, he should be the most motivated guy on that team, even more motivated than Zach Wilson. And you see Zach say, do, and prepare all in the right ways. It's very questionable whether Makai Becton is doing that in a year where it's a boomer bust kind of year for him. He's after next year, the Jets have to make a decision about his fifth year rookie option. And there's no guarantee he's going to be doing this at left tackle this year. Remember George Fett played pretty well after taking over the left tackle role last year. He only gave up one sack. Once he he uh, got that starting spot, and he might be in no position to give that up anytime soon. And the Jets have improved this offensive line so much so that, you hate to say it, Mekhi Becton might be a guy on the outside looking in. And that would be a very, very bad sign for him. And you hope that it won't be too, too bad of a bad sign for this Jets team if you're someone that has rooting interest in them, as I happen to do so. All right, got to take one last break, come back, close things out for this week in Keeping It Sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Very clear that Las Vegas has no children, has no idea that 
Okay, let's just rest here and let something have the chance to breathe for a second. Because within like hours, I mean hours of the Warriors winning uh, the championship on Thursday, they were already putting out the odds for the 2022-2023 NBA championship. And like you see most times, the defending champion is the favorite in uh, the betters' minds. You know, not always the case, but mo- most of the time. And the Warriors have already been listed by Fox Bets as a plus 550 favorite for next year. With coming up behind them in second, both at a plus 600, the Celtics and the Nets. The Clippers at plus 700, expecting, you know, the full return of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Although, you know, how many games is Kawhi actually going to play next year coming off of a full year off? We saw how much he maintenance stayed things last time he missed pretty much a full season due to injuries. You got the Bucks at seven plus 750, which... To me, they should not be lower than the Brooklyn Nets. The Phoenix Suns at plus 850. Uh, And then it's the Heat, the Grizzlies, Mavericks, and Sixers at plus uh, uh, 1,500. Uh, The the Nuggets at plus 1,700. Expecting the return of, uh, I guess, uh, Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr., and then the Lakers at plus 2,000 before it takes a big dip at, with the rest of the teams. The, you know, the, they're setting some pretty high expectations with the Nets, if you ask me. Because we don't even know what we're going to be seeing from this Nets team as far as roster con- construction is concerned. How's Joe Harris going to be coming back from missing pretty much the entire year with multiple foot surgeries. Is Ben Simmons going to actually play? What excuse is Kyrie Irving going to use to play, not to play this time? And that even comes into more question this morning when you're seeing both Shams and Woj report that there's been an impasse in contract negotiations with the Brooklyn Nets front office and Kyrie Irving's representation, so much so that he's got his eye potentially on two other suitors, one being the Lakers and the other one being the New York Knicks, so much so that that even Knicks fans are in panic on Twitter saying, no, as much as uh, Julius Randle was a pain in the ass this past year, Kyrie would be an even bigger pain in the ass. And I can understand that feeling. Why? And I can understand why the, the Nets front office is not jumping through every hoop to give Kyrie what he wants in contract talks. Because I've said it before. I'll say it again. Kyrie is always looking for excuse not to play. Now, he had he could have played in the bubble a couple of years ago, but 
sat up because he had his his shoulder cleaned up, not repaired, not had you know surgery on it like his pec was torn off the bone or had a a, a rupture or anything in there. No, it was just simple cleanup that he had right at the start of the pandemic that most doctors was said he was ready to go by the time the bubble started but didn't want to play without Kevin Durant then the next year he pulls the whole nonsense after January 6th where you know that there were a lot of people criticizing yours truly on Instagram a couple of weeks ago that said that, oh, he was just taking time off for family members' birthday parties. And that second week was just because he had to quarantine because of COVID rules. I'm sorry. The rest of the league has family members. I'm sure the rest of them have family members that have birthday parties on game nights that they're missing all the time. You don't see anybody else, unless your name is James Harden, taking nights off or leaving their team um, due to not wanting to miss a family party. The rest of these guys are willing to make sacrifices, willing to do what it takes to win and have successful NBA careers. Kyrie Irving clearly does not want to sacrifice, does not want to put the needs of others before himself. Now, that's that's why I never believed him when he said that his reason for not wanting to take the vaccine was because of the mandates were, that were in New York City and those who were losing their jobs, which, let's be clear, I've long said that a lot of those mandates were a bunch of BS and that you were ha- you had people unfairly in certain circumstances losing their jobs that were not making in a year even what Kyrie makes a day so they were the ones that were truly being pushed out truly losing out Kyrie still made 16 million dollars th- this past year for the what 39 some odd games that he played in, maybe more once uh, the the mandates were lifted at home. And that rule I've always maintained was BS. The fact that an unvaccinated home player couldn't play in New York City, but unvaccinated visiting players could. It it should have been an everybody could play or nobody uh, that was unvaccinated could play kind of situation. And you saw all of his teammates, despite what they may have felt about any rules, regulations, they all did what it took to play. They were all in, all looking uh, to be uh, in the best position to win a championship. But Kyrie, Kyrie has created a lot of the problems that have happened for this Nets franchise in the last year and a half. His disappearance act after January 6th was the reason why they felt the need to make the James Harden trade and give up valuable pieces in Karis LeVert 
uh, among and Jared Allen and probably hurt their overall depth on that team because they knew they couldn't trust him. And in turn, that brought a somewhat out of shape, at times unmotivated James Harden to this team that flat out quit on the Nets this year after the way he saw the the way Kyrie Irving was handling things and that Kevin Durant was siding with Kyrie on this. That's why there have been so many people that have been critical of KD's decision-making the last couple of years, even more so than when he joined the Golden State Warriors in 2016. You know, you've seen a lot of people that have said that, oh, KD either will or now does regret leaving Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors for Kyrie Irving. You're seeing the likes of Charles Barkley. You know, in the last couple of days, Barkley when when he, the Warriors won the championship, Barkley was one of the first ones to come out and talk about how now KD's got to win one with without Steph. Bringing up how Kobe won a championship without Shaq. LeBron won uh, a, multiple championships after being with D. Wade and Chris Bosh. He'd say, quote, before D- KD gets that great respect from all the quote-unquote old heads, he's going to have to win a championship as the bus driver. He joined a team that already won a championship. No disrespect. That's just a fact. Until he's is the guy on a championship, we're not ever going to give him the respect he probably deserves. And there were people that you know, fired at Kevin Durant on Twitter. And of course, you know, Kevin, because he can't help himself, when responding to someone saying his legacy just died, he said, I've been dead since July 4th, 2016. But congrats to the dubs and my man, um, my boy, Steezy, a Fillmore legend, a man been waiting his whole life for a parade on Market Street. And uh, when asked, how does it feel to, to be not to be loved by any of the fans of the team you won back-to-back titles with, he said, love will get you killed. You know, he's very sensitive in uh, that regard. While some of what Barkley said is true, a lot of it is is also unfair. While it's true, you know, there were people such as ESPN's Stephen A. Smith that called this the weakest move by any NBA superstar in history. Joining a team that had won 73 games, had come back from three games to one against his Oklahoma City Thunder in the Western Conference Finals. Joining them and winning two championships, you can understand <coughs> where someone would say, that's kind of a weak move. But at the same time, I don't think he, they win those two titles without Kevin Durant being there. He was the best player on those teams. While those teams may have been Steph's teams, like I look back at the the Yankees in the 90s or even when they won the, the title in 2000, 
Derek Jeter wasn't necessarily the best player on any of those teams, but those were his teams. Even when Alex Rodriguez came there and was a better player than him, those were still Derek Jeter's teams. Well, Kevin Durant in the all-time most talented players in the sport category is ahead of Steph Curry. Those Warrior teams were still his. So, you know, while it was always looked at as, oh, KD won two titles, well, Steph won three with pretty much that same group. So, KD, in order to not be viewed as a vulture or a guy just latching on to someone else's success, is going to have to win a championship somewhere else before he no longer hears that, oh, you couldn't win without Steph or you couldn't win without the Warriors um, narrative that's thrown around there, whether it be with Kyrie and Ben Simmons on the Nets, or it be with other players elsewhere, he's going to have to be the lead guy on a title. Otherwise, this reputation is going to continue to follow him around. Now, before I go, let's get quickly to the New York Yankees, who saw their nine-game winning streak come to an end yesterday. And I... I cannot believe the nerve of some of my fellow Yankee fans that there are people actually saying things like, oh, I'm sick to my stomach. I'm so pissed off after yesterday's loss. Yes, having an 8-3 to lead in the sixth inning and then ending up losing 10-9 is never a good thing. It's... Kind of an annoying thing, but it's not something where you should be sitting there heartbroken or angry at the world about. Let's take things in perspective here, people. We are sitting here on June 20th, 66 games into this season, and the Yankees are 32 games over 500. That is a spot where you would have hoped that they are at the end of the regular season, but they're in the midst of a historic year, or at least on paper, the beginnings of a potential historic year. They have the best record in the sport, best home and road record in the sport, best run differential by a mile over anyone else that i think there's only one other team that's um has a run differential of more than plus 100 that being the Dodgers and the Yankees are are miles ahead of them at plus uh 143 and people are acting heartbroken off of a one Sunday loss against the Toronto Blue Jays I mean, come on get over yourselves here think about the week that they have had Think about this run that they, they've been on. I mentioned last week, you know, the Boston Red Sox have been one of the best teams in baseball since the start of May and have lost two games in the standings to the Yankees since then. The Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays 
are closer to the Orioles for last place than they are to the Yankees for first place. And look at the week. They swept the Rays at home and didn't even hit much. They got some timely hitting on Tuesday, backed by Cole uh, rebounding greatly after that awful start he had in uh, Minnesota. Wednesday, you get a three-run homer by Higashioka after they decided to intentionally walk IKF in front of him, and that turned out to be just enough around that craziness that went on in the eighth inning with the the umpires and whether Boom was allowed to bring in Licky or not that put a pause on the game for about 20 minutes. And then Thursday, they were able to survive the Rays going with a bullpen game long and long enough surrounded by their own bullpen game. Cause remember Luis Severino was sick, was unable to pitch that game and get three shutout innings by uh, Clark Schmidt, Ryan Weber, a guy who was, in the minor leagues, you, you expected nothing out of him, and he comes out of the the bullpen and fooled the Rays for almost four innings there. And they were able to outlast the Rays bullpen along with a couple of boneheaded um, bullpen switches in the, the sixth inning by um, Kevin Cash that allowed the, the Yankees to come back and win that on a walk-off home run by Anthony Rizzo and send the Bronx into euphoria. Then you get Friday, a beatdown of Stripling and uh, the Blue Jays pitching staff, including a home run by Giancarlo Stanton. I'm still stunned at the power of this guy. This thing, off the bat, you would have thought... This was just going to be a cheap blooper in the right field, and somehow it wands up over the the right field wall. They then uh, walk uh, Judge later in the inning to pitch to Rizzo, and he hits a bomb uh, that essentially sealed up that game. Saturday, you get a bases-clearing double by Hicks. That was enough to support another pretty good start by Jamison Tyon. So yesterday's loss, while it's not, as Joe Girardi used to say, it's not what you like, it's not, you know, what you want. Yesterday's loss is stomachable. Because here's a newsflash here, folks. The Yankees are not winning 130 games. There's going to be some kind of lull along the way here. I mean, unless I'm just completely wrong about this and they're, playing on a video game level right now, there's going to be some kind of valley in in the Yankees season. Not a deep one, not one that is going to allow the the Rays, Blue Jays, or Red Sox back to winning the division because I don't think any one of those teams are talented enough, even with as many games left in the season, to catch the Yankees with a double-digit lead in the division. And while I do believe that the Yankees, along with the Astros, are going to be those two uh, first-round buys in the American League postseason, because look around the American League. It's it's pitiful. You're, you might get three teams from the 
three or four teams from the American League East making the postseason, and that's mostly because the the Central is just trash, and the Angels have fallen apart so much so that there's no one to even write home about in uh, the American League West. So, you know, these kind of losses, they're going to happen. Hell, it's been over a year since the Yankees have had this kind of loss, since, what, last July. So one time of blowing a five-run lead and people are going to, you know, get all upset, get all angry. Like I said, it's not something you want. But the Yankees have had too good of a season to be getting annoyed by it. Look at you're getting a historic year by Judge. Every night, you're getting a new hero in, in the mixer. Whether it be Matt Carpenter, who joined this team in May and has been wonderful in a, a limited part-time role for them. You, you get a game like the other night where... Severino's sick and somebody like a Ryan Weber comes out of the minor leagues and uh, pitches quality out of the bullpen for you. Glaber Torres has had a resurgence year back as uh, the second baseman. In fact, like the last month, he's hitting about 390. Stanton, when healthy, has uh, been pretty good. Rizzo's had a, a good year power-wise. The starting rotation has one of the best ERAs in all of baseball, one through five. I mean, the the worst ERA on the staff right now is by Garrett Cole, and it's in the mid-threes. Mostly bloated by a couple of bad starts against Minnesota and by uh, the Tigers. Now, you're getting an, a year no one could have saw coming from Nestor Cortez. Clay Holmes has been the best reliever in this sport. Mike King's been a godsend for this bullpen at a time where Chad Green's out for the year. Jonathan Lewiska and, and Chapman are out with injuries. So any, as much as we may not like the, what we're seeing from Hicks and Gallo, and they're starting to hear it from the fans at Yankee Stadium, let's calm the hell down a little bit. One loss and we're going to start getting annoyed? Come on. There's a lot of teams in baseball that only wish they were in the position that the the Yankees are in. That only, I mean, the, the Yankees are more games over 500 than some teams in this sport have wins in general. So let's, you know, calm the hell down. You know, as I said, I was at a wedding this past weekend and... The, the only concern I heard from anybody there was that the Yankees are peaking too soon. That rather than win 120, they would rather win 105 and have some kind of lull and watch them overcome that and, and win the, the championship. But either way, we're watching a very fun, very special year by these New York Yankees. So rather than, while you can nitpick about a thing or two, Hicks, Gallo, you know, member number eight of the bullpen, if you feel like it, sit back and enjoy it. Sit back and enjoy what you're, you're seeing. Because, quite frankly, years like this 
don't happen every day. Years like this should be appreciated and not complained about when we have just one loss that, while annoying, is something that should not just have you disappointed. And that, my friends, is Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, June 20th, 2022. Everyone have a great week, have a great night, and I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.